0: Last week we talked about detours and we talked about how God is on the detours of life and that's where he meets you. The problem though is we very often miss God even when we're on those detours and he's right there and it has to do, the the reason we miss him has to do with our vision, specifically what we're focusing on, the things we are looking at. Several weeks ago I talked to you about um, things that you pay attention to, something that captures your attention or something you pay attention to. Usually, usually the things that capture your attention are things that lead you away from God, the things that you give or pay attention to are the things that, that help you move towards God. So when, when something captures your attention that takes you away from church, that's something leads you away from God, you have to pay attention to God in order to grow. So that's where we're going. So today I thought I'd talk to you about some, some vision problems, common vision problems. First one is color blindness. Color blindness is the inability to distinguish between some colors. My dad suffered from color blindness. He had two suits. One was blue, navy blue. One was black. He couldn't really tell the difference. What he knew was he had different ties and he wasn't sure which one went with, went with which. So every Sunday morning, hey son, which tie works with this? And I'd say that one, daddy. And I could have messed with him. I didn't. I didn't think about that. I should have. Um, but I didn't mess with my dad. Um, he 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 had that it was supposed to keep him out of World War II. Colorblindness was. But um, it didn't. He was on Guadalcanal and, and he had lots of not fun memories. But actually on Guadalcanal, when he's in a when he's in a foxhole being bombed by the Japanese, that's when he gave his heart to Christ. So even though that was a detour, that's where my daddy met Jesus, was in a foxhole being bombed, and he thought he was gonna die. And he said, Jesus, I need you. Changed not only his destiny, but it changed the destiny of, of future generations. Second, uh problem with vision is hyperopia. This is far-sightedness. If you have far-sightedness, that means you can see far away, but not necessarily near up. It's the inability to see near objects. Myopia, that's nearsightedness. That's inability to see things far. You see things only close. And then presbyopia, that's Greek for elder eye. What it means is people over 40 have trouble seeing things close up. My wife has this. I have this. Cutest thing in the world is when Janie has some glasses on her head. She, the first thing she does, if you want her to read something, she feels for her glasses. Her record so far is three pairs of reading glasses on the top of her Head, Um, you got you got that big hair. You know you can put a whole lot of stuff up there. I think it's really awesome. My girls kind of laugh at that, but it's cool. Um, I I actually have it too. My eyes are the same vision. I have contacts, but they had they can't do same vision for my eyes because I couldn't read even though I'm nearsighted. So this one is the one I see far with. This eye is the one I see near with, and it's very difficult for them to do bifocals in your contacts. So this is like the bifocal for near. This is the bifocal for far, and so you have to your mind kind of freaks out. So that's why sometimes I can't read is because I has, have presbyopia, elder eye. I got old and I can't read up close. And in fact, I'm probably just going to go to the regular contacts and then put the reading glasses. So I may have two or three on the top of my head. Although bald guys, we can feel. Yeah, whatever. Speaking of old, um, I may not have any hair, but your hair's all gray. Do what? You got your reading glasses. Yes. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. We're, we're gla- but here's the point. How many of you suffer from some type of vision problem? It doesn't have to be this, it could be something else. Some type of vision problem. Okay, almost all of us, but I want to talk to you today about a problem every person who's ever lived has, and it's not EYE trouble, it's eye trouble, the letter I. We all suffer from eye trouble. There's that first slide. We all suffer from eye trouble. Okay, what does eye trouble look like? Well, Spiritual colorblindness would be the inability to care about people because of the color of their skin. Next slide. The inability to care about certain people because of the color of their skin. This would be racial insensitivity or flat-out racism. Um, so Cameron kept asking our preteens, what color was Jesus. <laughs> He probably wasn't white. He probably didn't have blonde hair. He probably didn't have blue eyes. He was Jewish. He probably had dark skin, dark hair, dark eyes. We don't know for sure, but praise God, Jesus didn't look at the color of my skin, but the condition of my heart, and he reached out and he saved me. And let me tell you this very clearly. You've never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God, and you cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ and be a racist cannot do it. It is impossible. Not hard, impossible to be a racist and a fully devoted follower of Christ because Jesus died for all. Second thing is spiritual farsightedness. This would be the individual or church that sends tons of money overseas and ignores people right outside their walls. Nothing wrong with sending money overseas. We send a percentage of our income each month to the uh, Southern Baptist of Texas Convention and part of that money go through the cooperative program goes to fund missionaries overseas. I think that's a great idea. Otherwise they don't get funded. People don't hear because we're not sending them. Nothing wrong with sending money. The thing that's wrong is when you only send money and you ignore people outside your walls happens all the time. The other thing is spiritual nearsightedness. These are the people who, who, uh, only care about folks in Palestine, don't care about people outside of Palestine. We actually had someone say to me one time, when, in 2010, when the earthquake happened in Haiti and I felt personally called of God to go to Haiti, I came to the church and several individuals said, we want to go. And once we went, I fell in love with the country and I figured that I'm going and, and if God allows me, I'm going until I'm 70. That's my plan. I'll be 53 this summer. I got 17 more years after this. If God allows me, I'm going to keep going and we will not have scratched the surface of everything that needs to be done in Haiti. In fact, Janie came up with this idea. I think it's brilliant. I think it's of the Lord. She said, what if every place we went, We left a water well in Haiti because what they do is they they rely totally on rainfall for their water. Up in Jacmel, where we're going, rainfall comes, their cisterns fill up, they have water. If it doesn't rain, the cisterns don't fill up. They do have a a community-wide cistern, but if that runs out, they're in trouble. They have to sometimes go down into the city. Sometimes they have to walk for miles to get water. What a cool legacy. To build to to drill a water well in each city before we leave. So it would I would love to put a water well near uh, Pastor Jude's home or near his church before we leave Jacmel. And when we go to the next place, whether we go to Cap Haitian, wherever we go in Haiti, I want to drill a water well. I don't even know how much that costs, but I think it's a great thing. Wouldn't it be great that children don't have to go to a stream and, and drink water that's not purified? They could have something that that is is good for them and healthy for them. I think that's beautiful. And then when they get to they ask how, who who provided this water? Jesus did. And they get to hear about how Jesus is, is a spring of living water on the inside. I think that's great, whether you do or not. Um, spiritual elder eye... Those whose hearts grow more hardened with age. Uh, I've I've encountered many people through the years in different churches who who would say to me, I have been a Christian for 50 years. And my response to them, (laughs) I didn't say it because I was honoring my elders, but I wanted to say, no, you've been an infant Christian 50 times one year at a time. You have not grown up. Because it would be very evident in their actions if they had grown up and if they were mature. By the way, if you have to tell somebody you're mature, if you have to tell someone you're humble, you're not. You show it through your actions. Okay, so if we all have eye trouble, is there a cure? Well, yes, it's in Mark chapter 8, and I love this whole chapter, and I wish I could talk about every bit of this chapter, but let me give you this scene. In the first part of the chapter, Jesus feeds the 4,000 with seven loaves of bread and a few fish. Now, I didn't misspeak. Earlier in Mark, Jesus feeds 5,000. How many loaves of bread and how many fish to feed the 5,000? You know that one. Five loaves, two fish. In this story, it's seven loaves of bread, and we don't know how many fish. Two different instances. Jesus feeds the 4,000. They get in a boat. They cross the Sea of Galilee, and the Pharisees are waiting there for them when they get out of the boat. The Pharisees come to him, and they say, Give us a sign from heaven. Now, at this point, this, this is ironic to me, because at this point, Jesus, I wrote all this down, Jesus has already fed 5,000, 4,000. Um, earlier in Mark, it says that every town he came into, the people heard about it, and they brought all of their sick, and they laid them in front of him and asked him to touch them and heal them. Even if he wouldn't touch them, they, could, they would try to touch the hem of his garment, and they would be healed. Multitudes are being healed by Jesus everywhere he went. By this point, he'd also cast out demons. By this point, the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and remember She secretly comes up and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. She's immediately healed. Jesus turns around and he says, who touched me? Power has gone out of me. And the woman comes in to meet Jesus. It was a touch of faith and she was healed. And Jesus had also raised from the dead the synagogue leader, Jairus, his daughter. He had given them all kinds of signs and they said, give us a sign from heaven. They were going old school. Because they were going back to Moses. Moses in the wilderness, he had this bread from heaven. Moses didn't provide the bread, God did. But it was manna, and he fed millions of people. They said, we don't want you taking loaves of bread that are already in existence and multiplying. There's nothing great about that, although there is. We want want bread from heaven just to magically appear. Or we want fire from heaven like Elijah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. When Elijah was facing the prophets of Baal... He let them go first. And he said, call on your God. And they cut themselves and they dance. And, and this is one of the times when he's, when there's a reference to going to the bathroom, Elijah kind of taunts him. He goes, Hey, maybe you should shout louder. Maybe your, maybe your God is on the toilet. And I'm like, man, I love Elijah. And, and so they shout louder and they cut themselves more and their God never answers because he has no power. And then Elijah says, Oh God of heaven answer my prayer today that this people may know you are God and I am your servant and fire falls from heaven lights up this sacrifice and everybody goes oh the Lord is God they knew right so these people are saying it's not enough to take loaves of bread and feed thousands of men we only know how many men were there probably women and children so that's not enough give us a miraculous sign and Jesus looks at him he goes you're not going to get a sign why? First of all, they'd already had tons of signs. Second, they chose to be blind. And this is when you listening, God. Jesus will not waste his time on people who choose to remain spiritually blind. So he'd just gotten in the boat. He came over, talked to these Pharisees. They get right in the boat, go back across the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we pick up the story in Mark chapter 8, verse 14. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. Oh, I gotta, I, you got to see this. They'd forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. How many loaves of bread did they have with them in the boat? One. need to remember that. Uh, as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. All right, what word from this, this last thing, what word sticks out to you? Watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. What sticks out to you? Yeast, that's one, okay. Pharisees and Herod, okay. Anything else? Beware, watch out. Okay, now, if you said yeast... You're just like the disciples, and that's not necessarily a good thing. I'll show you why. Hang on to that. That's okay. I'm not saying you're dumb. I'm just saying that this is what we do. You're not dumb. But the disciples had forgotten. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Next one. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. All they heard was yeast. Yeast. Jesus knew what they were saying and he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? If Jesus is in the boat and there's only 12 or 13 in the people in the boat and you got one loaf of bread, do you think Jesus can multiply that loaf of bread to feed the 12 people? Yes. At this point, he fed, he fed 5,000 with five loaves. He fed 4,000 with seven loaves. Can he feed 13 with one loaf? Yes. yes. So why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? Next You have eyes. You have eyes. Can't you see? You have ears. Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? They said 12. And he's talking about little baskets about this big. Kind of like our joy basket, about that size. 12 basketfuls left over. And look what he says. And when I fed the 4,000, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven. Large baskets are big, like this, almost big enough that it takes two people. Jesus is saying, I am enough. Why are you worried about bread? That's not even what he's talking about. He's talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. The the Pharisees were so religious, they couldn't see anybody else. In fact, they couldn't see the Messiah because they were so religious. Herod was just secular. Um, He was just worldly. And Jesus says, don't be like the Pharisees religious. Don't be worldly like Herod. Pay attention. Now, the disciples noticed everything. uh, They they ignored everything about Pharaoh, uh, Pharisees, (laughs) Pharaoh, Pharisees and Herod. They heard yeast and they thought Jesus was talking about bread. Their eyes were blind, their ears were deaf, their hearts were hard, and they were no better than people outside the kingdom of God. But Jesus wasn't rebuking them just because um, they, of the yeast that they missed the whole yeast reference. Jesus was rebuking them because they didn't see clearly who Jesus was. They didn't see clearly why Jesus came in the first place. They'd been living with him this, for several um, months or years at this point. Now, before we come down too hard on the the disciples, let me ask you a question. Has God ever met one of your needs? And the moment the next problem pops up, you go, oh, God, what's happening to me? Maybe not quite like that, but you're saying it like that. You start whining. We have short memories. The same God who provided at this point will provide at this point if you're following him. If you're on the path of following Jesus, he's obligated to meet your needs. If you choose your own path, he's not obligated to do jack for you. We get mad when we go our own path and Jesus doesn't meet our needs. Jesus said, no, 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 follow me and I'll meet every need. Over there, yon, yon. Now, we're very much like the man in this next section, verse 22. Verse 22. When they, talking about Jesus and the disciples, arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, kind of kind of, ooh, I don't know why, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around and said, yes, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. As a child, Fellowship Baptist Church, I heard this story in Sunday school, and in my mind I saw trees. Stumps with arms walking around bumping into each other. That's just my mind has always worked like that. And I didn't understand. I'm like, why didn't Jesus just heal him? Why do you? Jesus has a point. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and they are opened. His sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's the gospels, that's the good news that talk about Jesus' life. They record healing seven blind men. This is the only two-stage miracle that Jesus ever performed. Why did he perform it like that? Well, at least one reason is because sight was a very popular metaphor for understanding. See, when, when after the first stage, the man was no longer blind, but he couldn't see clearly. The Pharisees were like the blind man before Jesus showed up. They chose not to see. They were blind. They couldn't see. The disciples had been living with Jesus. They could see who Jesus was, but not very clearly. They needed more understanding. They needed their vision healed. And because God is always a God of details, God never messes up. At this moment in the, in the story, God brings along an object lesson to teach them. This is stage one. This is stage two. Now, look what happens next. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee, and they went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you're one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. Now, let me show you a couple of pictures here that first one. Okay. This is Caesarea Philippi. Janie and I got to go there when we went to Israel and, and I thought, Oh, I've heard of that term. I can't wait to go there. When I go, when I go there, I felt very uncomfortable. Let's go to the next slide. I, I should put these in different order. This is what we, we see when we come up. We see this cave back here and there's little caves, little things all over the place and this beautiful waterfall. So we get off the little tour van and we're going in there. And I'm thinking, sweet. I love going any place Jesus has been. I love reading the stories, but then we started walking around. Go back to the first one and we start seeing these shrines and there're all these false gods there're all these like greek gods and, and and there's all these different things so there's there's tons of shrines and i start feeling very uncomfortable because we're in a place that worships somebody not named jesus and that always makes me very uncomfortable and i felt i felt like we were in a dark spiritually dark place because we were because this is all about anything, worship anything, anyone other than Jesus and make a shrine to it and bow down and worship it. And then go ahead and show the next one. This is an artist rendition. So this was called the, the, the temple of Pan, which is a, which is an earth God. And then all those little shrines are to his, his mistresses and their children and, and, and children of Zeus. And it's just the craziest thing that I've ever read. And so this is an artist rendition. There's this big shrine to worship anything, anyone other than Jesus Christ. Jesus brings his disciples up to this point and he says who do, who do people say I am and they said well some say John the Baptist some say Elijah some say other some other prophet those people were were like like the man in the first stage of the healing that kind of saw some stuff well he looks like a good man maybe he's the reincarnation of something no he wasn't Jesus cuts to the chase though he says I don't care what anybody else says who do you say I am He looks at his disciples and he says, I want a response. Who do you say I am? Jesus looks at you. The reason you're here today is Jesus wants to know, who do you say he is? If he's your Lord, people ought to be able to tell by the way you act, by the way you talk, by the way you treat other people. Peter says to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Look what Jesus says to him when he gives that response. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. Because my father in heaven has, what's that word? Revealed. What's that word? Has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. You do not stumble onto spiritual truth. You do not discover spiritual truth in your power. Spiritual truth has to be revealed to you. So you're not just walking along, oh, spiritual truth. (laughs) No, God has to open your eyes Maybe one stage at a time. Maybe you can see, well, I think this Jesus is the Messiah, but you don't see everything else. As you begin to pursue God, he opens up your spiritual understanding and you become more and more like him. The Bible says the more you gaze at God, the more he transforms you into his image. Much gazing at God, I should look more like God. The reason most of us don't look like God is because there's quite honestly not much gazing. There's not much spending time in his presence. God wants to change us, but we don't want him to change us. He says, God has revealed this to you. You're blessed when God reveals things to you. Now, up to this point in the whole book of Mark, the whole question has been who is Jesus? They just answered right there, God, God moved, removed the, I see trees walking around, and they said, you are the Christ. It has become crystal clear that he is the Messiah. The rest of the book asks two questions. It asks, what kind of Messiah is he? That's what we're going to look at today. And then it asks, what does it mean to follow him? We're going to focus only on the what kind of Messiah is he? And the first thing that I want you to understand about this Messiah is he's compassionate, He is a compassionate, he hurts with. Look where this comes from, Matthew 9, 36, just one of the verses. When he saw the crowds, talking about Jesus, the Messiah, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion. This word compassion in the New Testament is only applied to Jesus, and then Jesus applies it to the fictional character, the good Samaritan. So Jesus uses, the Good Samaritan is really a picture of Jesus. The word compassion only describes Jesus, only is applied to the Messiah. He is a compassionate Messiah. And then here's what it says. Jesus felt compassion when he encountered the sick, the sick, that's in Matthew 14:14. 14, 14. He felt compassion when he encountered the blind, that's in Matthew 20:34. He felt compassion when he saw demon-possessed people, Mark 9:22. He felt compassion when he saw those who were lost, who had lost loved ones, that's in Luke chapter 7 verse 13. He felt compassion on hungry people in Matthew 15:32. He felt compassion on lonely people in Mark 1:41. And we just read he felt compassion even when people were confused. What kind of Messiah is he? He's the type of Messiah who hurts with those who hurt and who rejoices with those who rejoice. Have you ever, ever heard in any other world religion of a Messiah who hurts with people who hurt, who rejoices with people? There is none. I've studied those religions this is the only one. There was a song, as I'm studying this this week, there's a song came to mind. We used to sing it. It says, there is none like you, Jesus. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. There's only one Messiah who's compassionate. His name is Jesus. And then at preteen retreat this week, we, we sang the song, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. And at the end, it says, uh, what a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against this beautiful, powerful Jesus. There's none. There's only one like him. He's a compassionate Messiah. Second, what kind of Messiah is he? He's a considerate Messiah. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart people see, God sees people differently than you and I, and that's a good thing. And this was the whole theme of preteen retreat. Preteen retreat, we talked about there's labels that people put on our body and God isn't worried so much about our body. So, so what kind of, what color hair or do you have hair? What color eyes? Uh, what color skin? How tall, how short, how wide, how narrow? Those are all kinds of labels that people put on us. And that does not describe who we really are. God looks inside and, and here's the thing, you can be pretty on the inside, you can be ugly on the inside, but when you have this Messiah that comes in and changes you, he pushes out all of the ugly stuff and you begin to look like him. The more you're in his presence, the more you reflect this incredible Messiah. Now, with that in mind, look what happens next. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought an, a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is touching him. She's a sinner, label. He's labeling her the whole time. Then Jesus Knowing his thoughts, answered his thoughts, said, Simon. And the Pharisee, he says, I have something to say to you. And the Pharisee is kind of a suck up. Oh, yes, good teacher. Tell me what you have to say to me. Jesus knew better. Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right. A plus you, you passed the test. Then Jesus said, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, which was customary. That was just like the basic custom of the day. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, he did not, look at this, he did not make lightly of her sins. He said, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she's shown much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And by the way, none of us are forgiven little. What he's talking about is here is, is we minimize our own sin. And if you don't think you have much sin, you don't need much forgiveness, which, which means you're not compassionate or considerate of other people. Those who have been forgiven little love little. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And everybody went crazy because um, who was this who, who forgave sins? Well, he's the son of God. Now, if you're if you're a parent and you need to, you're dedicating your child today. This is the time you go get them. I don't know who needs to go get their kids, and just wait outside, and we'll bring you in in just a minute when we finish. Now, Jesus and the Pharisees saw um, saw the people very saw this woman very differently. Jesus did not have eye trouble. I, so he could see her very clearly. The The Pharisee was full of himself. He was only about eye. He was only focused on himself, so he couldn't see the woman clearly, and so he was judgmental. He was rude uh, to this woman. Now, it was customary in that time, for for people to gather around important people's homes and and watch the important people. You thought paparazzi just just popped up in the last 30 years. No, no, no. They've been in existence forever. And so the homes looked like this. Go ahead and put that picture up there. This is kind of what homes looked like in the time of Jesus. And you'll notice that there's, they're, they're, they're made, they're square, they're very hot. They would have the windows open, they would have the doors open. And so the people in the community, they knew when some important person was having important people at their house. So they would come and peer in the window or they would look through the door and, and and it was customary for them even to walk in. They couldn't sit down at the meal. That wasn't good. But they could stand there and just see the important people. Now, a Pharisee, a teacher, would never speak to a woman in public. Not, not just this immoral woman, any woman, because women were beneath them. He would, they, would, they would pray, oh God, I thank you that you didn't make me like the Gentiles or women. And so they wouldn't speak to any woman in public, they wouldn't eat with any woman in public, and when this immoral woman comes in, Simon is embarrassed for himself and all of his guests because one of those women just walked in. Simon's real problem was he had eye trouble, he was blind, he couldn't see himself, he saw himself, but he saw only the good stuff. He couldn't see the the immoral woman, he couldn't see Jesus clearly. He could say, this woman is a sinner, but he couldn't say, I'm a sinner, and people who can't say I'm a sinner are bound for hell. Jesus proved to be a po- prophet because he read the, the guy's mind and he answered him. Now, let me say this. This parable is not about the amount of sin that a person has committed. It's about the awareness of sin. This immoral woman saw herself clearly. She saw Jesus clearly. She's in the kingdom of heaven because of that. I believe the Pharisee, unless he had to come to Jesus meeting later, he's, he's in hell today because he didn't see Jesus clearly. Simon was guilty of pride and self-righteousness. God could see it. Nobody else could. Whatever sin this woman committed, everybody knew about it. She, she had a reputation in town. Both of them were guilty. Both of them were bankrupt. And neither of them could pay the price for sin. But one of them saw Jesus clearly, which made them see themselves clearly. And one of them bowed at his feet. And it was the immoral woman. Her tears and her humble attitude and her expensive gift all spoke of a changed heart. You see, when you love someone... You give. You give of your time. You give of your talent. You give of your treasure to someone you love. Do not tell me you love the church. Do not tell me you love Jesus if you don't spend any time with his bride. The church is called his bride. If you don't give time to the church, you don't love the church. If you don't give talents to the church, you don't love the church. If you don't give treasure to the church, do not tell me that you love the church. Your actions will demonstrate whether you love the church or not. Now, let me say this. Our actions do not earn us a place in God's family. Our actions demonstrate that we are in God's family. You see the difference? I don't give to try to bribe God. I give because God has given so much to me. I am, I'm in awe. And everything I have is his. And if he tells me to give a certain amount of money, I give a certain amount of money. I give my 10%, Cameron and Stacy, and I were talking about this, I give my 10% my tithe. I believe that's in scripture. In the Old Testament and the New Testament. I give my 10% to the local church. I don't believe in designating funds. That, that's my tithe. I give over and above my tithe to different things either in the church or we have compassion children. I don't take, I think it's robbing God. I think that's what Malachi chapter 3 is talking about. If you take what should be given to the local church where you're being fed and you give it to some other thing, I believe you're being disobedient to God, and he's not going to bless your finances. And by blessing, I do not—I am not one of those guys that says, if you give 10 bucks, God's going to give you 100 bucks. I don't believe that. God gets to choose because he's God, whatever the blessing is. The Bible says the principle is you give of your time, your talents, and your treasure to whatever's important to you. And Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So if you want your treasure to be with God, then you need to start giving some of that treasure towards God because your feelings follow your treasure. What have your actions been saying about you lately? Have they been saying that you're all focused on you? You have eye trouble? Or have you been focused on the life that God has for you? There's a difference. You cannot focus on yourself and God at the same time. So I want you to say that out loud. I cannot focus on myself and God at the same time. Say it again. I cannot focus on myself and God at the same time. Simon focused on himself, so he looked at this woman's past. Jesus looked at the woman's future. So the last thing is, what kind of Messiah is he? He sees our potential. I'm going to show you a quick video clip, and then we'll have our our uh, baby dedication, child dedication, and then, then we'll be dismissed. In this video, one of my favorite movies of all time, it's Les Miserables. It's not the it's not the musical one from two thousand whatever. This is nineteen ninety eight when they don't sing. I can't do the musical thing. Um, not no, there's anything wrong with that. Um, but this this is the opening scene. This is the first three minutes of the movie, and you're going to see grace radically change a man. When we finish this, we'll we'll finish our service.
1: Thank you for bringing him back, I'm very relieved Release him You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine They must be thirsty
0: So this simple act of grace from the bishop to someone who was a, he was a prisoner, he'd just been released and didn't know what else to do. He went back to his life of crime. This simple act radically changes this man. And he goes on to be a man who dispenses grace to other people. He comes across a prostitute who's in a, in a difficult way. She gets sick. And he begins to take care of her. She thinks he wants sex. He doesn't want sex. He just takes care of her. Well, she has a daughter. She dies and he adopts her daughter. It all—it started this incredible, um, these ripples of grace that followed him the rest of his life because a bishop saw his potential. He saw clearly. He didn't see men walking around like trees. He saw clearly the son of God. It changed him and he saw that other people could be changed as well. That's what we're supposed to do. We're going to have um, child dedication. I don't know where... Is Janie out there? I don't know where the the forms are. Come on in. Let's go. There they are. She's out there. We love doing child dedication. What we're saying by this is that these parents are dedicated to introducing their kids to to Jesus. We don't believe in, in child baptism here. Uh, until that child gives their heart to Christ. We don't do infant baptism. So we, we're going to teach these kids everything we can about Christ. We're going to try to bring them to the point of, of stepping across the line of faith. And we believe that God's going to be faithful and, and bring them into the kingdom of God. So um, that's what these parents are doing here today. And we're we're going to, as a church, we're saying we're going to partner with these parents to do everything we can to help these kids know who Jesus is. All right, we have Kyler Chad Ashley. Give me five, one of my buddies right there. Travis and Jamie are uh, his parents. His his ma- The meaning of his name is church protector and defender. Sweet. His life verse is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You want to hold on to that? Or you want daddy too. Here's Camden Cobain Ashley. Give me five. That's another one of my buddies right there. Uh, his name means cheerful and friendly. His life verse is Joshua 1. <laughs> yeah, he is and cute. Um, <laughs> be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is another one of my friends. This is Adely Faith Hernandez. Um, her name means the Lord is exalted and her life verse is happy are those who are strong in the Lord who want above all else to follow in your steps. Awesome. You want mom to hold that? Yes. She usually runs down the aisle to give me a hug. She'll say to her mom now, now, if the service is over so she can come give me a hug. It's awesome. All right. We got two here. Uh, Chastity, Nicole Morales, Ashley Steele, and, and Charles Bell. Um, her mean, the meaning of her name is purity, innocence. And, it, and her life verse is Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. This is Elijah Albert Morales. Um, his name means, my God is Yahweh. His life verse is Psalm 25, 5. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Carly Ray Prickett. Bobby and Alicia, cornbread or pudding, um, if you're willing to call him pudding. I'm going to call him cornbread. Um, Carly's name means womanly, free, and wise. That's three good things. Her verse, uh, life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. This is Josie Grace Roan. This is John and Jamie Roan. The, ne- the meaning of Josie's name is God is gracious. She's not going to look at us. There she is. Can you give me five? Ah. There was a moment she almost didn't do it. There was a moment she wasn't going to do it. Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen is her life verse. It says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. I, I want us to commit as a church to pray for them. So I'm going to pray. We're going to be dismissed. Um, the, the class will be out there, all that. But I, I, I want you to take this seriously, that, that the most, one of the most important things we can do as a church is pour into the next generation, and, and if, if God changes their destiny, he changes the next generation and the next generation. That's why we take our children's ministry so seriously. So let's pray. And then you're going to hug four people and be dismissed. You're going to tell them you love them. Father, thank you for these beautiful children. Thank you for their parents being willing to, to stand before you, God, and before our church and say, we wanna do everything we can to lead these children to Christ. I pray that these kids would hear your voice at a young age, that they would give their hearts to you, and I pray they would follow after you all the days of their lives, and you would change future generations because of these children. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus, amen. Hug four people, tell them you love them. You're dismissed.